The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It is Seldon, the man who escaped from Princetown. Oh, dear me, what a very shocking affair. How did he die? He appears to have broken his neck by falling over these rocks. My friend and I were strolling on the moor when we heard a cry. Well, I heard a cry also. That was what brought me out. I was uneasy about Sir Henry. Why? About Sir Henry in particular? Because I had suggested that he should come over. When he did not come, I was surprised, and I naturally became alarmed for his safety when I heard cries upon the moor. What is your theory of this poor fellow's death? I have no doubt that anxiety and exposure have driven him off his head. He has rushed about the moor in a crazy state, and eventually fallen over here and broken his neck. Ah, well, that seems the most reasonable theory. What do you think about it, Mr. Sherlock Holmes? You are quick at identification. I have no doubt that my friend's explanation will cover the facts. I will take an unpleasant remembrance back to London with me tomorrow. Oh, you'll return tomorrow. But I hope your visitors cast some light upon those occurrences which have puzzled us. One cannot always have the success for which one hopes. An investigator needs facts and not legends or rumours. It has not been a satisfactory case. I would suggest carrying this poor fellow to my house, but... It would give my sister such a fright that I do not feel justified in doing it. I think that if we put something over his face, he will be safe until morning. I suppose you could call it justice of a kind. To her sister, he'll always be the little child who clung onto her hand. Evil indeed is the man who has not one woman to mourn him. By the way, I don't suppose you appreciate that we have been mourning over you as having broken your neck. This poor wretch was dressed in your clothes. I fear your servant who gave them to him may get into trouble with the police. That is unlikely. There was no mark on any of them as far as I know. That's lucky for him. In fact, it's lucky for all of you. I'm not sure that as a conscientious detective my first duty is not to arrest the whole household. Watson's reports are most incriminating documents. But, Sir Henry, tell me about these portraits. All family, I presume? Mm. Barrymore has been coaching me in them. This cavalier opposite to me, the one with the black velvet and the lace. Yeah, you have a right to know about him. That is the cause of all the mischief. The wicked Hugo, who started the Hound of the Baskervilles. We're not likely to forget him. Later, when Sir Henry had gone to his room... Holmes led me back into the banqueting hall, his bedroom candle in his hand, and held it up against the time-stained portrait on the wall. I looked at the broad plumed hat, the curling love locks, the white lace collar, and the straight severe face which was framed between them. Is it like anyone you know? What if I hold my arm over the hat? And around the ringlets. Good heavens, Holmes. Stapleton. Yes. It is an interesting instance of a throwback which appears to be both physical and spiritual. The fellow is a Baskerville, that is evident. With designs upon the succession. Exactly. We have him, Watson. We have him. A pin, a cork, and a card, and we add him to the Baker Street collection. <laughs> Thank you.
On the journey to Coombe Tracy, I reflected once again on my friend's unflagging ability to surprise one. Having charged me with never letting Sir Henry out of my sight, what did Holmes announce this morning? Not only that he and I should make haste to London, for reasons he refused to make clear, thus leaving the baronet completely unattended, but that Sir Henry should drive to Merripit House and then inform the Stapletons that he intended to walk back along the moor, the very course of action he had repeatedly counselled against. Both the baronet and I were left completely bewildered by this programme, but when it comes to Sherlock Holmes, my experience has been that there is nothing for it but implicit obedience. Only one more incident before our interview with Mrs. Laura Lyons is worthy of note. Upon our arrival at Coombe Tracy, Holmes received a telegram which read, Wire received, coming down with unsigned warrant, arrive 5.40, Lestrade. I wish to be perfectly frank with you, Mrs. Lyons. We regard this case as one of murder, and the evidence may implicate not only your friend, Mr. Stapleton, but his wife as well. His wife? His wife? He is not a married man. Prove it to me. Prove it to me, and if you can do it. Very so. well. Here is a photograph of the couple taken in York four years ago. It is endorsed Mr. and Mrs. Vandeleur, but you will have no difficulty in recognizing him, and her also, if you know her by sight. And there are more, should you remain oh. un... Mr. Holmes, this man had offered me marriage on condition that I could get a divorce from my husband. He has lied to me, the villain, in every conceivable way. And why? Why? Now I see that I was never anything but a tool in his hands. Ask me what you like, and there is nothing which I shall hold back. One thing I swear to you, and that is that when I wrote the letter, I never dreamed of any harm to Sir Charles, who had been my kindest friend. The sending of this letter was suggested to you by Stapleton. I presume that the reason he gave was that you would receive help from Sir Charles for the legal expenses connected with your divorce. Exactly. And then after you had sent the letter, he dissuaded you from keeping the appointment. You heard nothing until you read the reports of the death in the paper. But you must have had your suspicions. I... I knew him. But if he had kept faith with me, God forgive me. I should always have done so with him. case becomes rounded off, Watson, and difficulty after difficulty thins away in front of us. I shall soon be in the position of being able to put into a single connected narrative one of the most singular and sensational crimes of modern times. Inspector Lestrade. Oh, Mr. Holmes. Anything good? The biggest thing for years, Lestrade. Let's take the London fog out of your throat by giving you a breath of the pure night air of Dartmoor. My word, it doesn't seem a very cheerful place. I see the lights of a house ahead of us. That is Merripit House and the end of our journey. 
What is that window at the end, Watson, the one that shines so brightly? That is certainly the dining room. The blinds are up. You know the lie of the land best, Watson. Creep forward a little and see what they are doing. This will do, Lestrade. These rocks on the right make an admirable screen. We are to wait here, Mr. Holmes. I must request you not to talk above a whisper. Yes, we shall make our little ambush here. Get into this hollow. Are you armed, Lestrade? As long as I have my trousers, I have my hip pocket. And as long as I have my hip pocket, I have something in it. Good. My friend and I are also ready for emergencies. You're mighty closed about this affair, Mr. Holmes. What's the game now? A waiting game. Well, Watson? Well, there are only the two men in the room, Sir Henry and Stapleton. Both of them smoking cigars and drinking wine. As I watched, Stapleton rose, left the room and came outside. I saw him pause at the door of an outhouse at the corner of the orchard. A key turned in a lock, and as he passed in, there was a curious scuffling noise from within. He was only a moment inside, Holmes, and then I heard the key turn once more, and he passed me and re-entered the house. I saw him rejoin Sir Henry by the fire. There is no sign of the lady. Where can she be, then, since there is no light in any other room? The fog is moving closer towards us, Watson. Is that serious? Very serious indeed. Our success and even Sir Henry's life may depend upon his coming out before the fog is over the path. Well, shall we move farther back, Holmes, upon higher ground? We dare not take the chance of his being overtaken before he can reach us. At all costs, we must hold our ground where we are. There now. Thank God. I think I hear him. Yes, there he is, Holmes. Look, the fog parts like a curtain. Hist! Look out. It's coming. A hound it was. An enormous coal-black hound. But not such a hound as mortal eyes had ever seen. Fire burst from its mouth. Its eyes glowed with a smoldering glare. Its muzzle and hackles and dewlap were outlined in flickering flame. With long bounds, the huge black creature was leaping down the track, following hard upon the footsteps of our friend. So paralyzed were we by the apparition that we allowed him to pass before we had recovered our nerve. Never... In the delirious dream of a disordered brain, could anything more savage, more appalling, more hellish be conceived than that dark form and savage face which broke upon us out of the wall of fog? We still need a kill. Follow me, Watson. No! Brandy, sir. Good for you. Drink, drink. What in heaven's name was it? It's dead, whatever it is. We've laid the family ghost once and forever. It's on my fingers now. Look. A cunning preparation of phosphorus. There is no smell which might have interfered with his power of scent. We owe you a deep apology, Sir Henry, for having exposed you to this fright. 
You have saved my life. Having first endangered it, are you strong enough to stand? Give me another mouthful of that brandy, and I shall be ready for anything. You've done enough for one night. We must leave you now. The rest of our work must be done, and every moment is of importance. We have our case, and now we only want our man. It's a thousand to one against our finding him here. Those shots must have told him that the game was up. But we'll search the house and make sure. Hey, hey! Someone in here! I can hear a movement! Hey! Open this door! The walls were lined by a number of glass-topped cases full of Stapleton's collection of butterflies and moths. In the center of the room, there was an upright beam to which a figure was tied. A towel passed around the throat. Another covered the lower part of the face. Over two dark eyes, eyes full of grief and shame and a dreadful questioning, stared back at us. The brute. Here, Lestrade, your brandy bottle. Put her in the chair. She has fainted from ill usage and exhaustion. Mm. Is he safe? Has he escaped? He cannot escape us, madam. No, no, I did not mean my husband. Sir Henry, is he safe? And the hound? Sir Henry is safe. The hound is dead. Oh, this villain. See how he has treated me. Look at my bruised and beaten body. But this is nothing. It is my mind and soul that he has tortured and defiled. I could endure it all. Ill usage, solitude, a life of deception, everything. As long as I could still cling to the hope that I had his love. But now I know that in this also, I have been his dupe and his tool. If you have ever aided him in evil, help us now and so atone. Tell us then where we shall find him. There is but one place where he can have fled. There is an old tin mine on an island in the heart of the mire. It was there that he kept his hand. But look, the fog bank lies like white wool against the window. No one could find his way into the Grimpen mire tonight. <laughs> He may find his way in, but never out. How can he see the guiding wands tonight? We planted them together to mark the pathway through the mire. Oh, if only I could have plucked them out today. Then indeed you would have had him at your mercy. On the morning after the death of the hound... The fog had lifted, and we were guided by Mrs. Stapleton to the point where they had found a pathway through the bog. From the end of the widespread bog, a small wand planted here and there showed where the path zigzagged among rank reeds and slimy, malodorous water plants, while a false step plunged us more than once thigh-deep into the dark, quivering mire. From amid a tuft of cotton grass which bore it up out of the slime, some dark thing was projecting. Holmes sank to his waist as he stepped from the path to seize it. And had we not been there to drag him out, he could never have set his foot upon firm land again. He held an old black boot in the air. Myers Toronto was printed on the leather inside. 
It is worth a mud bath. It is our friend Sir Henry's missing boot. Thrown there by Stapleton in his flight. Exactly. He retained it in his hand after using it to set the hound upon the track. He fled when he knew the game was up, still clutching it. And he hurled it away at this point of his flight. We know at least that he came so far in safety. But more than that, we were never destined to know. Many traces we found of him in the bog-girt island where he had hid his savage ally. In the crumbling remains of a miner's cottage, a staple and chain with a quantity of gnawed bones showed where the animal had been confined. Well, I do not know that this place contains any secret which we have not already fathomed. This paste in the tin is no doubt the luminous mixture with which the creature was daubed. No wonder the poor devil of a convict ran and screamed, even as our friend did, and as we ourselves might have done when he saw such a creature bounding through the darkness of the moor upon his track. I said it in London, Watson, and I say it again now, that never yet have we helped to hunt down a more dangerous man than he who, in the foul slime of this huge morass, remains buried forever. The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 